you have them, to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be starting at verse 42 and going through uh, 316. We've been kind of in the very early days of the church. And it's, it's kind of like when you, those of you who have been married, it's like there's a bunch of big happenings and then all of the parties and the ceremonies are over and then you're at home together and you look at each other, it's like, well, now it's time to start being married. We're kind of reached that point of the very first days of the church and, and we're just gonna read the first few verses here, uh, starting at 42 through 47, we'll pick up more later. Hear the word of God. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Please pray with me. God, open your word to us now. Let us hear with, with uh, soft hearts, with open ears, what the Holy Spirit would say to us through the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Back in the day, one of the most, uh, you know, popular Saturday Night Live recurring characters was, was a Dana Carvey character called the Church Lady. Uh, does anyone remember the Church Lady? So the Church Lady, the, the, the idea of it was that she, she, was, she was a church lady who hosted a TV show called Church Chat. And she was kind of, it was good. It was really funny stuff. And and, um, and, you know, uh, she, she would just kind of be sort of always very polite, always very proper, and very, very, very mean, but in a polite way. And, um, you know, she would just kind of, kind of through, through a smile, tell people they're going to hell, that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, like, for instance, she had Dennis Hopper on, who's kind of a crazy guy, actor. She's like, please welcome for us, uh, you know, two-time Academy Award winner Dennis Hopper. Misunderstood genius or Satan worshiper, right? And, <laughs> and it, was, it was funny. And, um, but here's the thing, is sometimes comedians, the reason everyone finds it's funny is because they, they put their finger on the pulse of, they, they, they put a person, they put a face to something that everyone feels. And, and, and the, the sad fact is that the reason the church lady is funny to so many of us is because there's something true in it. That the church often feels a lot more like the church lady than Jesus. That a lot of the time when one encounters the church, they're, they're, it's almost like everyone's putting on this moral performance that my life is all together, that everything's good, that I don't have any real actual problems. And that really, the message, the unspoken message is, oh, you have problems, we don't. If you join us, you won't. you'll be as perfect as us. And, and the real tragedy when the church does not feel like Jesus and feels more like the church lady is that the people who are in the most desperate need of hearing the good news of the gospel, the good news of the gospel isn't that we're perfect, is it? The good news of the gospel is, is we're wrecks. 
And God loves us anyway. And Jesus died for us. The people who are most in need of hearing that message and the most ready to hear it, when they encounter the church lady, they don't hear it. And they go away saying, well, Jesus must be elsewhere. We're going to take a look at three different text units today. There's a lot of text. And, and you might be wondering, what ties all of these together? Well, I'm going to give away the game right here. I want you to look with me at three verses so that when we go back through it, you'll be like, oh, I see. Okay, look with me first at 247. It said, praising God and having favor with all the people and what the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Who added? The Lord added. That is Jesus, right? Now look with me at verse 36. Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So he's calling on who? Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So the Lord's adding to their number. Peter's healing people by calling on Jesus. And lastly, 312 through 13. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, and so on. But, but what does he say again? I didn't heal this person. Who did? Jesus healed him. Do you see the message? In all three passages, what's being emphasized by Luke is that Jesus isn't done. Jesus isn't gone. Jesus is alive and at work in the church. Jesus is alive and at work in the church. And so if these are the very first days of the church, and this book is meant to guide the current church, what sort of church, what sort of community is produced in these, early in these early days by the Holy Spirit and Jesus working through the church. Let's take a look. Verse 42, or 242 and 43, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Has anyone ever heard me say means of grace before? Maybe like a hundred million times? What were they doing? They were devoted to the means of grace, the word of God, the sacrament, fellowship with one another in prayers. As an awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So this is a community that's devoted to one another, that's devoted to the teaching, that's devoted to the sacraments. They're devoted to the grace of God. And also, we see that they are devoted to caring for one another, and not just in a, oh, that stinks. But look at verses 44 and 45. It says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So if someone was in need, like they're going to not eat, it was the, this, this community took responsibility for one another. They cared for one another. Now, quick pause. Some of you might be like, that's communism. And some of you are like, that's communism bad. And some of you are like, that's communism. Oh, boy, communism. All right, <laughs> it's not communism. Here's why. The government does not come in and seize everybody's stuff. That is what communism is, all right? This is people voluntarily giving up what they have to care for one another. Huge feature difference. Um, and also, the, the uh, verb here 
is not, it does not mean that everybody did this always. Like, let's sell all our houses. <laughs> it means that it, it's, it's called a, um, a customary imperfect, which means it wasn't happening constantly, but it happened regularly. Make sense? It, but but don't, don't bury the headline. This is a community that's not only laying hold of God's means of grace, but they're caring for one another in real ways, not in, oh, I hope everything works out with that. They're showing up. They're giving of what they have to care for another. And also, they worship together. Look at this. It says, and day by day, attending the temple, to, as verse 46, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So this is talking about a small gathering in homes, and it's also talking about going to temple together. So it's a worshiping community. What does this sound like? Does this ring any bells? Is this, are they doing anything different from when Jesus was around? No, they're continuing, right? Jesus is still here, guys. So what does their community look like? This church loves each other like Jesus did. This church loves one another like Jesus did. So the first thing we see of the community produced by Jesus being at work, is that they love one another just like he did. And this was news to me. Okay? Uh, early on in my Christian walk, in my early 20s, I, I went, it, when I moved to Nashville, I went to a church. It was a great church. It was a pretty, pretty big place. Um, and I found out that Sharon went there too. Like when we first met, she's like, oh, you, you, go, to the, you go to Christ's community? I was like, yeah. And she's like, I've never seen you. I was like, oh, that makes sense because here's why. My understanding of, of involvement at church was I would come in, I'd take in the service, I'd listen to the sermon, and literally halfway through the benediction, I am through the door, you know, after sitting in the back. I'm like, Papa. I didn't understand that part of, part of being the church was to be known, was to know others. I, I, I thought of it like going to the movies. Hey, we all saw that movie. Wasn't that great? Boom. Like not liking each other's lives. I had to learn this that part of being the church, the community that Jesus produces, is, uh, is first of all, a community that loves like Jesus did. And, and it's not just, the next thing we see is it's not just the interior life of the church, but the, the external. What is, what is, how does the church function when it's not together? Look at verses, uh, chapter 3, starting at verse 1. It says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Now, this is a pretty ordinary thing in the ancient world as it is today. Um, in an agricultural society, right, like if you weren't a noble, you had to do physical labor either agriculture or, or something like it. And your other option was starve to death. Okay? This dude couldn't walk since birth, so his options were beg or starve, and he chose beg. And so you would, you would, he would have family or friends or whoever carry him to this, to this high traffic area, as, as is still pretty common, and he would sit there and he would, he would beg. Um, now, you have to understand, and... I think we all kind of get this, is that uh, this was not a guy who was seen, right? This is a guy who was mainly ignored. 
In fact, the, um, the ancient Cynic philosopher Diogenes, he, he, he made his living by begging because he refused to work. He recommended that beggars practice on statues to get used to being ignored and rejected. Okay, so that, that's the level. So this guy's just sitting there begging. He's on the ground like people aren't even eye level with them. This is an unseen person. Look how, look how Peter and John interact with him. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter, what? Directed his gaze at him, as did John and said, look at us. So instead of just even walking by and ignoring him or walking by and throwing something in, he looks at him and says, and they say, look back at us. They see him. He fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. So this unseen man, this forgotten man who people turn their faces away from, what do they do? First, they see him. And second, they, they didn't have any gold or silver. They helped with what they could do. In Peter's case, it happened to be he could work miracles in the name of Jesus, which beats silver and gold as far as I could tell. But the, the, this is supposed to sound like something to us. It's supposed to sound familiar. Does, does anybody get the reference here? Anybody get what's being hinted at? He even calls on his name. Did we ever in the Gospels see Jesus, see the unseen? The woman with the discharge, right, who, who, who touches him, that everybody else was ignoring. The tax collector in the tree, the woman at the well, people who are unseen by their societies. What does Jesus do? He sees them. Jesus saw prostitutes. Jesus touched lepers, right? He sees the unseen. And what do we see the church doing under the, the guiding activity of the Holy Spirit in the presence of Jesus seeing the unseen? That's the, so not only is this church loving each other, but they see the unseen. And then, they, then we're going to see them do something else just like Jesus. Look with me at verses 9 through 11. It says, And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon. So a crowd recognizes, hey, this is the dude who's been at, at the gate. They come running. What's going on? And what do they do? When Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see now. 
And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man his, this perfect health in the presence of you all. So the deed, right, this, the thing that he does attracts a crowd. And what does Peter do? He confronts them with their sin. <laughs> he, this is courageous if you think about it. A, a couple months before, Jesus had been executed by this temple crew, right? So what's he doing? He's saying, y'all executed him. He's accusing the very people who executed Jesus of executing Jesus, okay? That, that, that's some backbone, don't you think? That is, that is Peter not only declaring the gospel, but doing so in a risky and courageous way. And then look what he does. In verses 17 through 19. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Who's he calling to repent? People at the temple, the most religious folk available. He is calling the righteous to repent. Does this sound like anybody? This sound, is this, is this ringing any bells? Again and again throughout the Gospels, the people who are already aware that they are not righteous, what do we see Jesus do? He speaks words of comfort. You know who he, he, he throws the most sharply worded things at? It's the righteous. It's the righteous that need to hear the gospel and repent. And that's exactly what we see Peter doing here. He proclaims the gospel just like Jesus did. Okay, this is, it, when, when we talk about, hey, if Jesus is still alive in the church, how do we know that we're actually in cooperation with what he's doing? Well, it's, it's do you love each other? Do you see the unseen? And then it's the proclamation of a gospel like Jesus. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words, is something that Francis of Assisi said to nobody. <laughs> In all seriousness, I, probably a lot of us have heard that quote. It's in none of his writings. It's in no biography that, that records his life. In fact, just the opposite is true. St. Francis of Assisi preached as many as five times a day, village to village. Okay? We want somehow to wriggle out of proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the gospel thinking even that, that deeds can replace the proclamation of the gospel. How sad would that be? Because it might, the, the, the great fear is that someone would be in your midst, and I've heard this story many times. Oh, I went to this church all growing up. I never heard the gospel once. That's tragic. That doesn't feel like Jesus. Jesus preached the gospel a lot, not just with deeds, but with words. And we see that continue in the early days of the church. So if Jesus is alive and at work in the church, what, what's our goal here? The church needs to feel like Jesus. The church, it's, it's up to the church to cooperate with what God is doing. So that, so that it's not a showcase of the righteous that feels like the church lady, but that being around the church community actually feels like being around Jesus. 
I remember when um, Pope Francis first became Pope. He, he, like, understandably, people liked the guy. What did he do? Well, he, he didn't take a limo to soccer games. He took the city bus, right? He spoke on behalf of the poor a lot, 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 lot. But the thing that cinched it for me was one day when he was giving an audience and people were coming forward, there, there was a man um, who, came, who, who had a, a condition called neurofibromatosis. Anybody remember this in the news? Neurofibromatosis, this guy had had it his whole life. What it, what it is is it, it, oh, it, it it's, every inch of his body was covered in large, painful tumors, his face, his head, every, every inch of him. And Pope Francis actually called him forward. And instead of just kind of blessing him from a distance, he actually ran his hands along the man and kissed him. Which was a, a life-changing, dramatic moment for this man. And, and when I saw it, and when so many people saw it, we said, what? I can get behind this guy. Why? Doesn't feel like the church lady. Feels like Jesus. Right? When someone or some place feels like Jesus, it's medicine for the soul. People don't go away saying, how could I be right with God? Or, man, I don't measure up to that community. They say, I'm supposed to be here. I'm messed up and I'm loved. That's what Jesus feels like. I don't know about you. I have little interest in building a church that feels like the church lady. Oh, close to zero. Church lady's funny, so I'll give her that. I have no interest in that. I don't care if, if we have all the success metrics people look to. If this place doesn't feel like Jesus, we're doing nothing. How do we, how do we cooperate? How do we acknowledge that Jesus is at work here in our community and intentionally build a church community that feels like Jesus? Well, first of all, it's just, and this could, the list could go on. We're going to cover three today. To love one another. The way we saw in, in those first few verses. And I, I'm happy to say that, that we've seen this over the years. We're not perfect at it. But people fall on hard times at this church. Small as we are, people show up. People show up for one another. They're there for one another. Right? You guys think that when you bring someone a meal who's fallen ill or people chip in to pay some bills for somebody, you think that's just a little thing? You know what you're doing? You are laying the foundation of a church that feels like Jesus. How is it going to get that way? How are people going to feel loved? Well, it's by you and me doing the sometimes scary, often inconvenient thing showing up for one another when it isn't very convenient. That's how. It's not a little thing yet. It's a big thing. If, if we stay on course with the sort of community we've cultivated up to this point, if we can establish a community where that is just bread and butter, showing up for each other, loving each other, calling each other, doing things together, moving towards one another. 
being a community that's worth joining, guess what? When you and I lay down in the grave, we can leave behind a place that loves like Jesus did. It's not a bad way to spend a couple hours a week, is it? You think going to community group is just some little thing. It's a big thing. It's how we build a community. Also, if we want to be a, a community that feels like Jesus, it, it's to see the unseen. Now, of course, as we were going through that one text, we could think of the, the many unhoused people that we have here in Denver. And let's be 100% honest. A lot of the times I don't make eye contact there because I have nothing to give. I literally purposefully don't see. Now, there's great differences in our society from ancient society. There's a lot of wisdom that's required to know exactly what to do, but can we start by seeing people? Can we start by figuring out a way not to look away? But it's not just the unhoused. You know, we have about 60 to 70,000 refugees in Denver. It's when this whole thing of like, don't let any refugees in. I'm like, they've been here in the tens of thousands for a long time. You just haven't bothered to look at them. Maybe the most unseen people in a youth worshiping culture like Denver are the elderly. There are, there are literally assisted living homes with forgotten people in them. Now, am I saying that you personally need to take responsibility to, to solve all these problems? No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that we need to start transforming into people. We need, need, need to cooperate with Jesus so that we begin seeing the unseen as a community. And by the way, the list doesn't stop at the, it, like somebody could look very, very together and is dying on the inside. And they're, they, they, would, they, would, they need to unburden their soul. They're unseen because it's hidden behind a very together facade. Being a community who sees the unseen. A way to begin, let's say on your block, in your building, are there people who are forgotten? People without visitors. People without relationships. Begin to pray about how you can move towards them, how you can start seeing them. Because it's, it's not just that, it's not just, like, because some of you have tried, I've tried this too, and, and sometimes you fail spectacularly. You really do, okay? It's important for them to be seen. It's also important if we want to be a community that feels like Jesus, we can't just look away from this stuff, right? The character of the community is what I'm really talking about. And lastly, it's to proclaim the gospel. It's to proclaim the gospel. Now, a lot of you guys are, are worried I'm going to make you all street preachers now. Some of you are gifted at this stuff. Some of you guys can go out and just be like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> Do you have a moment? You know, like it, it, some, some of you have done that and seen fruit. Um, probably most of you, that's not your calling. But we first of all want to make sure that we are proclaiming the gospel in the church a lot. Okay? 
Like, it would be a tragedy. Like, I'd resign if someone came to our church for six months or something like that and be like, I've never heard the gospel. That would be, like, someone comes spiritually searching and doesn't get to hear the good news of Jesus. Like, may it never be. Let's proclaim the gospel within the church, but also, uh, you know, for each of us to, to look for the opportunities God has given us. The, the bread and butter throughout the, the history of the church has been relationships, family relationships, friendships. People, people become spiritually hungry, spiritually curious, searching. And how are they going to get to hear the gospel? The answer is, is through the relationships, perhaps with you. Okay? Now the list could go on and on of what it means to, to, to be a church that feels like Jesus. But I just want to remind us that in the early days of this church, we have a golden opportunity. We have an opportunity to build a place in cooperation with what Jesus is doing. To build a church that outlasts us and feels like Jesus. Please pray with me. Lord, we pray that the gospel would dwell richly in our community. We pray, God, that you would break stony hearts, that you would bring us righteous to repentance, that we would hear and believe the gospel fresh. Lord, we know that you're with us, that you're building this place, that you're active. Let us not stand in your way. Let us instead cooperate with what you want to do, that we might be a community that feels like Jesus. Amen.